Sport. It's your passion. It's your obsession. You want informed opinion and 150 years of wisdom? Know it all with the Sporting Life podcast. Hello, um, subscribers, if you're still <laughs> still subscribers. Welcome to a special Christmas edition of uh, Not Another Golf Podcast. I should rather say um, uh, an end-of-year edition. This won't be necessarily Christmassy, but it will, it will be very reviewy uh, with me, Ben Coley, and Alex Perry. Hi, Hello. Alex. Hello, Ben. It's been a long time. I've not seen you since we lasted a podcast, just Have revealing we that we're not actually like best buds outside. We, you know, we don't hang of a Friday. God, that's quite that's quite an insight, <laughs> isn't it? It really, really is. Uh, that's behind, actually behind that's behind actually a bit. I, I like to think that some of the listeners will be really disappointed by that. that yeah, we, that yeah. we don't hang out quite as much as we probably should outside. And yet the chemistry is just, you know, bouncing off the walls. Maybe that's why the, walls, the chemistry it? is good. Maybe, because yeah. we don't... Because I genuinely, when I ask you, what have you been up to? I genuinely don't know the answer. So what have you been up to? <laughs> um, well, since I last saw you... When was, so it was the Open that was the last yeah, one, wasn't July, it? Yeah, July, so July. Yeah. Goodness me, has it really been that long? Yeah. Doesn't yeah. time fly Doesn't and it? other such cliches? Um, I went to America to see Ricky Fowler. That was quite nice. That's just... just a, a just dr- thing or dropping that straight in business related um business related of course um what national, was he selling national club golfer were invited to miami or a couple of hours up the road from miami to um where he lives no, we, we, lives, sorry we didn't go to his jupiter? house do you live in jupiter he lives near jupiter yeah right, we, sure. we went to the uh, palm beach raceway or whatever it's called and he was whizzing his uh, fancy mercedes around um i got to drive a lamborghini and i went 160 miles per hour it was tops. very it tops. It was very <laughs> scary, um, but never more. Um, but he, yeah. So there's some new. He obviously plays Cobra equipment, and he was flogging some new Cobra equipment, um, and got to sit down with him for about 15 minutes, and it was very interesting. Uh, obviously, so it's quite funny. I watched the 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 lad before me interviewed um, had 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 his 15 minutes with Fowler. And he asked him about the President's Cup. And this was, at the time, this was the week of Tiger's picks. And, of course, Fowler wasn't one of the original picks. And, then of course, later on, he went to, to get in the team via Brooks Kepka dropping out. But at the time, uh, he he obviously knew. This was 24 hours before Tiger had announced his picks. And Fowler obviously knew that he hadn't made the team. Sure. So when the lad who went ahead of me asked him about it and the mood in the room, yeah, <laughs> honestly, you could have cut the tension. It was unbelievable. Um, so that, that was really interesting. So obviously, I just dropped all my questions about President's Cup. Absolutely. Yeah. So you won't be there, up. but it'll be fun for those that are. Absolutely. <laughs> so of course he went, and and of course later on we found out that he had he, uh, he had just got back from his honeymoon. His yeah. wife was there. She was lovely. She, she chatting to all the journalists. She's a very nice girl. Um, and uh, we obviously found out just after that that he had had the he picked up a virus or something, didn't he, while he was on his honeymoon and, and had a, a quite a miserable time of the, of the last few days beforehand. So. He wasn't on top form, but um, there's a very funny uh, shot from from my interview with him where it's the screen grab of like the first couple of seconds where Fowler's just like looking at the ceiling while I'm doing my introduction to camera. It's very funny. Um, got a lot of stick on that about that for, on Twitter, so and and deserved. But once he got into the interview, he, he picked up a little bit, and he, he's like genuinely really interesting guy. So it's he quite seems fun like to one of the good guys, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I make a a big joke about uh, both of our regular listeners will know that uh, make a big joke about Jordan Spieth being my best mate because I went very and interviewed him friend, yeah. a very very close personal friend um, in was, some ways I think your your blossoming friendship with Jordan Spieth is behind his malaise on the golf course <laughs> absolutely he, um, I, I think that if I mean I know you're going to say who did you prefer 
Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to going to skip ahead there. Um, I th- I think Fowler wasn't in a very good mood clearly, but he was like a he was a nice guy. But Jordan was a lot friendlier. It feels like he he preferred to he, like he was happy to be there and mixing with the media and and generally having a, a good time with us and. Um, yeah, I'd, but Jordan and I are still BFFs. But if I'm not invited to spring break next year, then I, I what else can I do? Possibly <laughs> you, Jordan, Ricky, Smiley Kaufman, Smiley. few beers. I, I feel like I'm going to replace Smiley. I think I might yeah. just weasel my way in and didn't in he do well Smiley. to make the cut in the Australian Open? Very we, not, when very we say we're reviewing the year, we're not going that that. <laughs> I think they say granular in the business world. We'll keep it fairly fairly high level. Um, Tell me I, what you've been doing since July. Well, last Friday was my birthday. Thanks for the message, <laughs> and I mean that. Alan, you did message me didn't you I I'm did, sure yeah. you did of course yeah, I did yeah, yeah. I sent um, you a it is your birthday gift probably from the I office think, I think from the American version of the office which you're probably one of those people that doesn't like it I, I just haven't watched much of it but it makes me laugh yeah sure um, I share a birthday with Ricky Fowler a nice little Steve. waiter yeah, well, actually, you don't know his birthday I didn't Pathetic. know no did wonder not, I know Jordan's birthday I don't know Fowler's no wonder he didn't listen to you um, <laughs> yeah so that was cool um, it, it's not been the best birthday I've ever had but my, my son and wife tried their very best but uh, you know the usual problems that get in the way illness time work etc um, but, it, but it's been a good few months uh, I ran a marathon as you well you know you ran a bloody marathon I've not been able to run my one I had two goals one run it in under five hours check <laughs> Two, uh, don't just stop running afterwards. I mean, stop stop running at the line, yeah. but then after a period of rest, resume running. And unfortunately, due, due to a knee injury um, sustained in the marathon, um, I have not run since. So that's a bit of a shame, but I, it doesn't put too much of a dampener on, on the event itself. Really enjoyed that. See, I run the, I run the 10K near my house every year. Uh, not near my house like it's not like I just come out my front door and just join the 10k like there is a 10k (laughs) every November and I ran that and I'm not really a runner I find it really boring and um, I just tend to put a podcast on because you think like not another like not another golf podcast and I remember how funny we are Um, and I got to about 9k and I was like how do people run half marathons or marathons this is absolutely mental I've got no interest in doing anything above 10k so very well done to you very good time very proud of you thanks pal that's very (laughs) kind in the work related arena i've tipped a few losers as i think is well known on the internet um i've also enjoyed various other aspects of my job you have like started a whole new thing here at national club golf you you hired out a where did you hire out the royal armories in leeds the royal armories in leeds i wasn't i wasn't personally there but um our ncg top 100 editor Chris Bertram. The, so the NCG Top 100s is the definitive course courses rankings. Um, we've got GB and I. Uh, we've got England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, uh, and we've got continental Europe at the moment. So and and that's only going to grow. And yeah, it's been a for for Chris, our Top 100s editor, and Dan, who's the the big gaffer here. It's been their thing for the last probably three or four years, um, and it was, was very nice to see it all come together. Um, I haven't really been a big part of it, but I've obviously helped out where I can, and I can see how proud they are, and, and the, the whole company is very proud of it. And it's um, if you are into golf course rankings and that sort of thing, then absolutely, then this is like number one, the one you should be checking out because it's uh, the the level of detail that they go into is is phenomenal. Very good. I'm I'm pleased for you all. Um, I can only imagine how much effort goes into something like that. Um, 
because I don't have any original ideas, um, I thought we should do this. In fact, this is so unoriginal that I'm saying it was my idea and it was yours. Um, I thought we should do our own awards. So that's going to kind of uh, thread this should. podcast together. We're going to dish out some awards in a, in a BBC Sports Personality 321 style. Um, they're going to include Player of the Year, Tournament of the Year, all those things, but it'll allow us to talk over some of the highlights, some of the lowlights, dare I say. And then at the very end of this podcast, we'll be hearing from Megan McLaren, who made it into my Heroes and Villains uh, feature on SportingLife.com last week. She made it into the Heroes, I think, had she been in, <laughs> yeah, the, had she been be in the Villain. I, I think, had I rung Sergio Garcia and said, look, Sergio, <laughs> you're in as a villain, pal, but can we talk it? Can we talk it out? He just said no. So uh, Megan very kindly has said yes, and she's been very busy, so we're appreciative of her time. A big year coming for her and ladies golf in general. We'll cover all that over the course of the next, I don't know, quite a long time, I imagine. Um, But um, stick around and, uh, yeah, enjoy Not Another Golf Podcast, your Christmas special. Visit sportinglife.com and log in for free to become an insider. There you can unlock loads of exclusive features, including unlimited video replays, tips and previews, live score update notifications, betting offers, and more. So yes, welcome back from that brief break. Uh, You are listening to Not Another Golf Podcast with me, Ben Coley, and opposite me, Alex Perry. We're doing Not Another Golf Award. Here. We are doing not another golf awards. It didn't work for me, so I took no. off the S, but then it didn't work in a different way. No. Um, frustrating. Where should we start? Should we go with? Um, we're gonna. I think we should round off with player, but let, should we start off with emerging talent of the year? Yes, I think. Well, I think so. Be- before in discussions, we decided they were going to be slightly offbeat, and we're not going to just go after the same things that other people have. So we're, we're going to try and have some fun with it, but also throw in some actual awards because that's just the way we do just an example of some of the laughs we have around here (laughs) absolutely absolutely um Um, so we've just got a list of categories but let's just rattle through them hopefully they'll segue nicely into each other great yeah uh, they will um so emerging talent emerging talent so um we're starting at number three with God. I hope I pronounce this correctly. You'll be fine. Jung Un Lee Six. Just do everything Hank Haney doesn't. Do is it Lee? Is it Lee Six or is it Lee the Sixth? I think Lee Sixth. <laughs> Lee the Sixth is lovely, but I think it's slightly more French than than Korean, perhaps. Um, yeah, so this is a really good chance um, to hear from Matt Cooper, actually. Is that okay with you? That's fine with me. I love Matt. Um, so here is Matt Cooper. Um, expert in ladies golf among many many other things uh here he is talking about why jong-un lee six was one of the stars of 2019 the the rookie of the year this year on the lpga was uh korea's jong-un lee six and just saying that name reveals to you something quite unique about her she is actually the uh, as as you might guess she's the sixth player with that name in korean golf and so uh she has quite happily added the six to the end of her name uh, and it, it kind of uh, it's quite quite intriguing with her is that uh, whilst most of us in sort of the Western world, when we go to sign up for our email account, we're told that you know you've got to sign up to uh, to be in my case Matthew Cooper ten thousand four hundred and sixty three, and kind of bulk at that idea. It, it makes us realise that we're not quite as unique as we might like to think. In Korea, uh, and in the case of Jung Hun Lee, she doesn't really care about that. She's embraced it completely. She's called a fan club lucky six. And, uh, and and again, that's another strange thing about Korean golf. Fan clubs are just a massive thing over there. And uh, whilst uh, many in golf have struggled to understand the individuality of Korean golfers, actually in Korea itself, individuality is a massive thing. And fan clubs are a big part of that. Uh, and uh, Jong Un Lee has, uh, has, has emerged as quite a sort of unusual character 
uh, very outgoing, uh, very happy-go-lucky. And it's helped to make 25 starts this year, and 23 of them were tied 33 or better with 17 top 20s. She won the US Open, was pretty brilliant, and uh, she's the fifth Korean to win Rookie of the Year on the LPGA in a row. Right, I don't think there's anything we can add there. Um, nope. As Matt said, LPGA Rookie of the Year, won the US Women's Open. Um, number two is someone that you've put forward. Um, we sort of went back and forth about one and two, and, and I won. Um, mm-hmm. But you can you can start with number two. Well, number two is Sung J Im, who uh, the fifteenth club who worked very closely with Ellis in the Presidents Cup. Uh, their Duncan Carey says he's a future world number one. I don't think that's an outlandish statement. Um, obviously, he was the rookie of the year on the PGA Tour. He pretty much plays every week. You have to convince him to have a week off. Um, one of the busiest golfers on the planet this year didn't win on the PGA Tour in the 2019 season. Came very very close when the 2020 season started at the Greenbrier and he got done by uh, a brilliant Sebastian Munoz putt. Um, but but his time is coming. Uh, and what I really liked about him was the way he played at the President's Cup, the top scorer across both sides. Um, obviously, therefore, the top international scorer. He won his singles game against Gary Woodland, and he didn't just win it, he bossed it. And if you look at where that cup was won and lost, I mean, ultimately, it was in the singles. Just two of the internationals won their matches. Um, so many of their big players, Hideki Matsuyama was four up and, and failed to beat Tony Finau. I think Luis Dezen was three up and failed to beat Matt Kuchar. Uh, Sung Jae-im just bossed Gary Woodland. And, and to do that um, in such a sort of confident and assured manner, I think we all know by now, no weaknesses in his game, huge 2020 coming up, a major champion of the future, likely a world number one. And uh, yeah, they're probably the, the best Korean golfer in the men's game already and certainly only only going one way. Yeah, I, I, I think it was probably quite um, harsh for him to not get number one in this in this section but we've played to our audience haven't we we have we're a european podcast or a uk podcast and uh so number one is uh robert bob mcintyre um just not bobby apparently doesn't like bobby he doesn't like bobby he likes bob um Bob from Aban. Is that how you pronounce that? Aban? Oban? Is it Oban or Aban? Immediately. All the goodwill we earned with our Scottish oh, I'm public. Really he sorry, just, he's Scotland, just I'm really sorry, Scotland. I'm very sorry. He was really fun to watch all year, wasn't he? He's really fun. I, I love the fact that he's not one of these new, like these modern golfers who spend all their time in the gym and have a nice tan and all this stuff. There's, you know, he's not plastered in logos. He's just, he is just like, as we just said, he's just Bob from a band, um, or Oban. <laughs> uh, um, we, my colleague Mark did a lovely interview with him at the start of the year. Uh, and he said, yeah, he's just a, he's just a regular guy. He's still drives his mum's car, which I think, if I remember, was a Chevrolet Spark, which, if you don't know, is one of those tiny things, which is about the size of a chair, basically. Uh, I'm sure he's got a nicer car, or not a nicer car, but a bigger car now. If you're um, driving Lamborghini, surely Bob McIntyre's got behind the wheel. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, I, I just love everything about him, and he... he it just seemed every week when you check the European Tour leaderboard, he just seemed to be up there. And you just like it, the fact that he didn't win is probably more surprising than anything when you look at his results. And of course, there was that um, that driver off the deck. Do you oh, remember it was that? Just gorgeous. Of course, you remember it. You watched every single shot of the European <laughs> Tour this year. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I think driver off the deck is one of the things that golf Twitter gets most excited about, and um, I particular, I guess, it encourages that sort of uh, create. I think. I don't play golf well enough, but I think it encourages the the more creative element as well as being an outwardly aggressive shot. A lot of the time they're trying to move the ball and, and, yeah. and McIntyre's, it was in Italy, wasn't it? And he, he just carved it around some trees, landed it 
uh, like it was on a, a bed of roses. It was just gorgeous. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he was unlucky not to win. I, I've, you know, obviously he went really, really close in Denmark. I think he got beat by Bernd Wiesberger. He was up there in a lot of events throughout the summer. Maybe that'll weigh heavy next year. You know, same with him. It, it, all very well, people like us talking about how brilliant they did, how brilliantly they did. But obviously, number three on the list here won a major. Um, so uh, it's a case of taking that next step, and it's not always easy. But yeah, Bob McIntyre. I think the driver off the deck was, in terms of entertainment value and and the brazenness of it, one of the the best shots of the year. On which, <laughs> oh yeah, that was a lovely way. Yeah, it was just lovely. I really wasn't it? enjoyed Philip that. Schofield, apparently not a very nice man. Eat oh. your heart out. Um, oh. So shots of the year, Alex. Do you want to go first or second here? We got three, two, one again. Shots well, of the year for number three. We've had a bit of fun, haven't we? We've said we have had a bit of fun. Rory McIlroy's uh, first shot at Port Russian. Actually, while we've put it in for a bit of fun, um, you know, shot of the year doesn't have to be the best shot of the year. We're calling it the shot of the year. And I think if you're looking at shots this year that caused the biggest ripples, uh, and if you're thinking about the shots that had the biggest impact, then that was absolutely in the top three. I would say the reaction to a single shot, this would be number one by quite a yeah. way you know like if you judge reaction as likes and retweets um, <laughs> but also just general chatter I mean the reality is we don't we're not in the pub watching the golf together we're on the internet sharing our experiences while we watch it um, or at least I am um, and I think yeah it, well at that time obviously I was in the media center and and I, I couldn't begin to describe it, which is unfortunate for this podcast. But um, what I really liked about it was the, the knock-on effect that it had as well. It's a shot that effectively, in a, in a very, very, very small way, paved the way for Shane Lara to win the Open because had, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there is a circumstance in which Rory McIlroy happens to hit that right out of the middle of the club face and therefore everything after changes. And he might have been the Open champion. He, the might, have been, you know, he might have been tied with Lowry going to the final round. And, and when Lowry was a bit nervous on that first hole, being against Rory McIlroy might have been the difference versus being against Tommy Fleetwood with the greatest respect. So there's that. There's also the effect to add on McIlroy, the, the, the up and down round on Thursday, but then the chance to go to bed, put it behind him, come back at for his 10-whatever tea time on the Friday and, and restore pride. And I think the way he did that was one of the most... Um, I think, again, if we were to rank Fridays in golf tournaments, I think Friday of the Open would have been my favourite all year by a distance. Mm, yeah. uh, I know you weren't at Port Rush, Alex. I wasn't at Port I Rush. know it's still... Um, with my newborn son. How are the family? <laughs> more important. It's more important than the golf. But the golf is very important. And yeah, that Friday at Port Rush, honestly, I've written about it and I can hopefully I can write better than I can speak about it. Uh, but... But the way Rory went about that round, it was as if um, all of a sudden he's without that pressure of can you win the Open, without the pressure he plays within in April at the Masters, just go and hit shots. And given that in the run-up to the Open, we'd been shown that uh, brilliant animation of his 61 at Port Rush as a 16-year-old. This was the equivalent. Obviously, he didn't shoot 61, uh, but under different conditions. Uh, it was a no less impressive round. And by the end of it, there was a real... I was there with a lot of people in the media centre who were moved by it. My favourite golf writer, um, golf Alex reporter, Perry. other than Alex Perry, is probably Ewan Murray of The Guardian. And, you know, I think anyone who follows Ewan and reads his stuff will know that his, sort of, his, his start point is cynicism. The end of that day, we were in the pub. In fact, I'll just throw this in, my lowest moment of the year. I'm sat next to Ewan Murray. I really like his work. Uh, the two people opposite having a great old chat like old friends I've never met him before and all I could come up with was genuinely Alex so do you uh, work from the office or you work from home oh wow can you imagine that oh no yeah your face is exactly how I I just (laughs) I had to cover my face and then about three minutes later right this whole pub was on its feet 
singing Enrique Iglesias karaoke, right? It was a brilliant moment. Who was behind the mic? You? Uh, some lads. Oh, oh it, right. It, so it was there wasn't a, a golf writer. Honestly, a whole pub arm in arm singing Hero by Enrique Iglesias. Now, it's that thing, like when you're at a concert or whatever, one row stands up, the next, everyone sort of, there's a domino effect, right? People just think, oh, I've got to stand up now. Everyone else is doing it. Ewan stood up. So I stood up. And he turns to me and just said, I'm just going for a pass. <laughs> Not kidding. So that's my, I, I spent 10 minutes next to my favorite golf reporter oh and God. that is how it went. How was that the first time I've heard that story? We're not seeing each other, mate. Not seeing each other. I mean, we've got, you've got my number. <laughs> I know. Uh, I try and forget just these things. Just phone me up next time and say, Alex, how do <laughs> I behave in front of other, yeah. <laughs> some yeah. tips on how to behave around golf journalists. Anyway, as the night progressed and you managed to get away from me and to the non-crazies in the room, you know, he, he spoke with all the other, we were all around the table saying this was a day to remember. Obviously, I will remember it for the huge embarrassment suffered at around 11 p.m. But earlier Absolutely. in the day, there was, there was real majesty and real magic to it. So that's why Rory McIlroy goes in at three. I've buried the lead there, haven't I, with that story? <laughs> uh, number two is Francesco Molinari at the, at the Masters. We've bantered it again. We have bantered Let's be it again. It gets again, serious yeah. later on. We have bantered it a little bit again. But we're talking butterfly effect. I don't know about you, like watching that final round of the Masters, I basically spent the first 12 holes thinking it's a shame Tiger's not really turned up today. Yeah. Uh, I know he made a, I think he made a brilliant bogey at the 10th that, that when you look back maybe felt like the point. But to me, I still thought, oh, he's scrapping. He's, you know, he's going to need something ridiculous and actually two hours later he didn't need to do anything that ridiculous himself he played very very well and I'm not taking anything away from that but a chain of events happened at that 12 hole that uh, that opened up the opportunity for Tiger Woods to win the Masters the biggest story of the year it, yeah it was, a, it was a funny round wasn't it because you're watching it and I, I mean if I, I don't know whether it did, I can't remember if it did or not but it felt at the time like the leader changed like every 30 seconds almost like every time they brought the scoreboard up on the screen it felt like it was, and there's one point you're thinking oh god Patrick Cantley is going to win the Masters like this is such <laughs> a good like Masters final round and Patrick Cantley was not the winner that it deserved um, yeah I love Patrick Cantley but you're right he's a sort of he's a uh, paint by numbers uh, yeah. slow and, and, and also like, he was about an hour in front so there would have yeah. been that watching the last six holes of Augusta with the meaning nothing would have been yeah. Uh, it would have been a, a real shame. I mean, what were your thoughts on Molinari? Because for me, like in, at Carnoustie the year before when he won, um, it was brilliant to see that type of golf triumph and his perseverance triumph. And he, he seems like a really good guy and all that. But then come April, it's it, for me, I was watching it thinking, all right, mate, I've had enough of you just hitting it to 10 feet. And <laughs> me. Do you know, it, it, it doesn't excite me in the same way that Tiger winning excited me. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd resigned myself, not resigned myself, that's the wrong word, because I would have loved it if Molinari had won the, the Masters. But when it's getting to around the turn, you're thinking, Molinari's winning this. There's, there's no way he's losing it from here. He's the most solid golfer on the planet and has been for a, for a number of months now or however long. Um, the whole golf world wanted Tiger Woods to win. And I, I was there was a, a little bit of concern at one point that um, Tiger might go on a run and Molinari might be the guy that did sort of a bit of a Stuart Sink, Thomas, uh, Thomas Watson, Tom Watson situation where um, everyone hates Stuart Sink because he denied Tom Watson in 2009 at the Open. Um, and I was worried that that was going to happen to Molinari. So kind of pleased that he didn't do that yeah but yeah i think so yeah i think that's, that's fair to say isn't I mean, it that's shared i mean I it's think... unfortunate the knock-on effect it's had because molinari has been very very poor since sure 
uh, trace back to the moment uh, he hit that shot, number two on our list here, um, into the water at Augusta. And it followed from Poulter doing it and Kepka doing it. And all of a sudden, everyone's losing their heads. And who kept his Tiger Woods? But I think we it's easy to forget that, you know, for a player to win a tournament, when Tiger Woods was winning tournaments by 15 shots at Pebble Beach and all that stuff, for him to do that doesn't require anything bar him taking care of his side. There is nobody who could have bettered him that day. The truth of this year's Masters is Molinari could have beat him. Woods yeah. could have played just as well. Molinari could have beat him. I personally don't even buy the idea that the pressure of having Tiger Woods on your heels finally you know, impacted upon these people. I, I, I view Tiger Woods now as an excellent golfer who doesn't strike the fear of God into anyone. Um, I don't even think he did it to Abraham Anser at the President's Cup. I think if you watch that match, Anser was not at all overall. He hit some brilliant yeah. shots. So I think um, it, it, it was a brilliant moment, Augusta. We'll come back to it. But yeah, number two, shot of the year, um, Francesco Molinari. So let's end with one which is less banter. <laughs> well, I like banter to a point. We've <laughs> it's just great banter. Um, the fun should we've, stop somewhere. We've actually got... We kind of argued over this, didn't we? Because we thought we should have a, a proper good shot to 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 win it um now i wanted um hinako shibuno from um the women's british open um and i absolutely think she should be tied first in for shot of the year um this is a player who at the time um i haven't followed her career closely since the women's british open i'm sorry to say but at the time she hadn't played outside of japan in a in a competitive tournament and she comes over and only bloody wins our national open Incredible. So and that will anger well, at least some people in this country. Absolutely, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, the well, yeah. Politics. Um, and move on. And not only that, she had fifteen to twenty feet. I can't. I mean, I can pick. I can see the pipe in my head. But if I'm, if you're asking me for a length, I'd say about fifteen feet. And she just rattled it in. And then, and she just and everything about her demeanor for that entire round. She didn't know whether she was going to win at this point or not. She had a massive beaming smile on her face the whole way round. The whole golf world watching fell in love with her. She was absolutely tremendous. And to just step up to a putt like that to win not only your first competitive tournament outside your home country, but a major uh, and one of the biggest majors, uh, and to just rattle it in the center cup like that was just tremendous. Um, and just lovely to see. Really enjoyed it. Uh, what a, a wonderful day of golf. Clearly, um, you're angry that that didn't get to number one. I'm very angry that it's, it's sort of second as joint one. Is that? Yeah, it's kind of fourth, really. But um, <laughs> no, fine. It's um, number one. Um, has there ever been a cooler way to retire from professional sport than Suzanne Peterson holding the winning part in the Solheim Cup to then, you know, retire from the sport? She was only in the side as a wild card after taking time out to uh, to have a child, you know, just a spectacular story of of triumph against the odds and against criticism and against her history in the competition. What happened in twenty fifteen with the the did I give it thing? You know, just just a brilliant performance. I think everybody, well, most people who were asked to prize the Solheim Cup would have said, "I'm not sure Suzanne Peterson should be in that side." And then come the eighteenth hole. In the final round, I think everybody would have looked at the European side and said, "I want Suzanne Peterson over this putt," and she uh, she lived up to that billing. I think I'm on the, the. It was actually my birthday the same day. Many um, returns. Same, same day as much. any other golfers. My wife, Ricky Fowler. No, <laughs> can't remember. Prince Harry shares a birthday with me. Oh, really? Um, so I had I'd been out with my family. I was off that day, and I I texted my colleague and said, 
House of Solheim Cup going because he was he was um, covering it. And he texted me back and he said, if you're near a TV, like get to it now because this it's really coming to an end and it's going to be quite spectacular. Um, and then I got, so I, I wasn't far from home. So I went, so we went I home. You say you went to Curry's or <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I was in Curry's changing the channels. Um, yeah, I was in the pub. Like, can you turn Man United off? Or <laughs> um, no, so I, we weren't far from home. So I went home and turned it on. And, and I, the same sort of level of excitement as when Tiger... Uh, putted to win the Masters. It was it's sort of a strange feeling that sort of rushes through you, isn't it? Um, a sense of pride and just witnessing something incredible. You know, like you know when you have that feeling go through you and like down your spine. You know you've witnessed a piece of sporting history, and, and as you said, there's there's not a cooler way to bow out of your profession than that. Really, is there? There really isn't. No. Um, so massive respect to Suzanne Peterson. She probably could have won like four or five different awards, but we're going to try and make sure we don't talk about the same thing too often. We will come to the Solheim Cup though uh, in the next part of this podcast as we go through Team of the Year. Then we uh, shift focus to some of the villains, perhaps, and round off with Tournament of the Year and Player of the Year. Plenty more to come, and as well, we've got that interview with Mer- Megan McLaren to end the podcast. Stay with us. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Where dark fists are pumping and horses are jumping and football, my dear. But could it be better? Skybet's season of giving begins December 19th. Check the app for wonderful offers throughout the sportsmas period. Skybet, that's betting better. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Selected matches, markets and races. Available until January 2nd. Eligibility restrictions, T's and C's apply. You are listening to Not Another Golf Podcast Christmas Special with me, Ben Coley and Alex Perry. Our next award is for Team of the Year. Um, we got a 3-2-1 again, Alex. We're going we're gonna to rattle through maybe the first one and maybe even the second one and get to the main one. The reason we're rattling through number three is because I think really we've covered it already. But, um, you know, without spoiling the big reveal, who is it? It is the Solheim Cup team, European team, obviously. Of course. Um, yeah, just look, we, we've talked about it already and we're going to talk about it later in the podcast with uh, with our guest. Um, it was just an incredible week. They come in at three. I think they probably should be number one, but just in the interest of the fluidity of the podcast, and this is fluid, um, number three. Should we do number two? Number two is your shout. So oh, it's it is, uh, yeah. Oklahoma State. Tell me why. Yeah, so, so Oklahoma State, a dominant golf team um, right up until the NCAAs, which they didn't win. The team event at the NCAA finals is, is kind of the big thing in, in amateur college golf. And, and they went into it as favorites. They lost. Uh, Stanford won it instead. But <clears throat> this really is kind of a broader point about the, the talent, not just within that team, uh, Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland being the standouts. Uh, but also the the emergence of a huge wave of of kids this year who are just are uh, just so incredibly ready to win. I, it, I I know it sort of makes sense that increasingly athletes become uh, sort of tuned younger uh, and ready to go and and, and dominate dominate in their sport, or whatever. But it still seems like this has happened really quickly. Uh, Matthew Wolf winning the 3M Open, Victor Hovland just playing brilliantly in, I think he had about 20 sub-70 rounds to start his PGA Tour career. Uh, the Highgard twins, Rasmus winning the playoff in Mauritius, which was a dagger to my heart, but nevertheless really impressive. His brother Nikolai is supposed to be even better. you got Colin Morikawa, who went to Stanford and was on that winning NCAA team. Um, oh, Takumi Kanaya, who eagled the last hole to win the Taiyo Masters in Japan recently as an amateur. 
so many amazing youngsters. Chunan Yu's another one. Brandon Wu. Um, Cole Hamo, still an amateur. He looks ready to turn pro in the next year or so. It's been a massive year for, for young golfers. I mean, where do you draw the line? We're going to have a 15-year-old win soon. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? Like, they're really exciting talent coming through, and you're looking at the likes of Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, who are in like their the mid-20s, boys, and they're yeah. like the veterans. Well, here's they? the thing. I look to the money list winners on every tour, apart from, obviously, the seniors tour worldwide. You look at all the major tours, the oldest player to win the money list on oh, any of these tours. Can I guess? Go on. 28. He might have been at the time. 29, Brooks Kepka, who obviously won the money list, although nobody cares about it anymore, and McElroy won the FedEx Cup. So if we say it's McElroy, then it's McElroy because he's 30. Um, everyone else, the, you know, uh, on the Challenge Tour, Laporta, 29. On the Corn Ferry Tour, Scotty Scheffler, he's about 23. Uh, in Japan, it was Shugo Imahira, who's about 27. I'm reading these off the top of my head, so I'm sorry if I get one of them wrong. Um, there's a kid in Korea um, who, who's won four times this year. Uh, I've forgotten his name, so I won't try and guess it. Uh, but he's, he's 17 years old. He's won three Asian Development Tour events, and then he won in India on the Asian Tour. 17. Um, what were you doing when you were 17? Wasting my life. Beginning the wasting of... Um, <laughs> no, I was probably listening to, let me think, 2002. So I was listening to The Strokes, uh, drinking, and uh, you know, occasionally playing a bit of golf messing up my levels I mean what, what do you want from me <laughs> <laughs> so it's been it has been a great year for the kids and I think it, it, it creates a really interesting dynamic where you, you know players like Mickelson and Henrik Stenson who ended the year winning in, in the Bahamas it really I think it really in a strange way uh, can can ignite something in them to sort of say hold on a minute you know I'm not I'm not finished yet you know I've got more to give and all of a sudden we've got golfers from the age of about 17 to 48, 49, who are capable of winning on main tours, which is really cool. It is very cool, but let's move on. The kids are all right. The kids are all right. Um, so we, we've done a bit of a dual award for the uh, for first place, um, and I think it's fair. Um, we've given it to both uh, President's Cup teams. Um, I think, I mean, it's still, it, because the USA won, it still is the most one-sided competition you can imagine, especially in golf. But the internationals went into the final day with a real chance of winning, and uh, at a spectacular course, it has to be said. And it did sort of, you feel like it sort of revived the competition that was perhaps going a little bit stale. Now, maybe the Ryder Cup's the, the one that's going stale now because the internationals are, are back on the scene. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, th- I think the course, as you mentioned there, played a massive part in that. I think people watching Royal Melbourne, and I know people will joke about, you know, woke, I think they call it woke golf Twitter and how oh, if, you, if your course isn't are firm and... I I don't think I'm no, woke. I'm, I'm sort woke. of Too barely awake. Um, <laughs> I I th- I think there's a these things do go a bit far, and all of a sudden, you know, there's people telling you that no no Parkland golf course ever should be acceptable, yeah. and that's obviously not true. But there, it will grate when they go to Quail Hollow in two years, and I think that there's a there's a real shame here. I, I you know I obviously anyone who reads my betting previews will know I was really keen on the internationals. I stand by the case. Um, and I think they should have won. I think on Friday when they they, they really looked like they might go nine one up, that would have been an unassailable lead. Yeah. Um, instead, I think you know the, it was six and a half, three and a half, and and from there the USA crept back into it. And they were always going to be hard to beat in the singles. And uh, it's a shame that Ernie Els was let down by his senior players. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama four up, not beating Tony Finau. Louis Ustazen three up, not beating Matt Kuchar. Those two matches are, uh, are seen seen out. Then, in theory, ends fifteen all. But then you've got 
Uh, Ricky Fowler under real pressure towards the bottom there. And you've got other matches like Hadwin Deshambo could have gone slightly differently. Hadwin missed a pot on the last to win that match. So many, I mean, it's 16-14. I think it was even closer than that. And that's almost as close as it gets without being a draw. I thought it was a brilliant event, Alex. Do you but, get as up for it as you do for the Ryder Cup? I mean, obviously the Ryder Cup has Europe and we're Europeans for now. Um, do you, politics, do you get up for it? Do you, does it excite you? It did this time. I lost a lot of sleep the last week, um, which is probably why I'm ill. Um, it re- I really did. And there's an element of like, I'm a massive egomaniac and I said the internationals would win. And not only that, Racing Post golf journalist who I have a lot of respect for basically pulled my case to pieces rather than make his own, which really it did anger me a bit last week. Um, but I'm over it now. So obviously I had a vested interest, but I think the underdog thing, I, I, I grew up with Ernie Els, one of my favorite golfers, um, you grew up with him well you know um, my, my like grand, next door <laughs> my granddad would just bet on Ernie Els for every event um, that was just his thing and so Ernie Els became one of my favourites and I like a lot of that international side and I, there, there's a cultural thing here like I have a lot of American followers on Twitter and stuff and, and I, loads of them are really cool and I, I enjoy speaking with them I think maybe at a professional sport level there's, there's just a slight uh, machismo element which I don't like mm. I think like like I look at Tommy Fleetwood and you might argue that it's maybe it's why he doesn't win as often as some of the other guys but he just seems really nice and funny and he's got Chill. that he's like got Bob a, McIntyre like we were saying yeah, earlier exactly. it's just a normal bloke and it's just a different type of wit right I, yeah. and I, I think dare I say it some of those Americans some of them are really nice Gary Woodland nice guy Tony Finau nice guy I really like Justin Thomas Ricky Fowler you've mentioned you know you met him nice guy but they don't quite have the same view of things as we do and that, they really seem to enjoy being on that pedestal in the in the President's Cup. And seeing them knocked off it would have been really cool. And I, it's a great shame. You know, I, I, I even thought in their celebrations, it's like, all right, lads, you know, you've won the President's Cup again. And, and I know saying that is really, it's joyless. And who am I to say they shouldn't enjoy it? Um, but I just kind of think, ah, I wish you hadn't won. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, for me, it's the underdog thing. And also, I guess we are internationals, even though European players can't play. We are internationals. Sure, so I yeah, guess if we you're going to support one side, but, it has to be them, right? Um, look, I'm not going to get on, on, on the back of a sportsman for celebrating a victory in anything. I mean, obviously, some of those players, it was their first. And it might, they don't know. It might be their only President's Cup experience. And, and, and if they win it, they're entitled to celebrate as much as they want. That's but, a good um, point. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the thing that, I'll be honest, the thing that really irked me was... Um, and I'm not that angry. Was Tiger Woods in the aftermath? Like, I think we've all seen and enjoyed Tiger Woods' uh, transformation as a, as a human. I don't know how much he's fundamentally changed within because I can't know that. But what I can know is that what he gives to us, what he reveals to us, um, the media, but by us I mean not only the media but, but fans of the sport, is fundamentally different to what he used to. And he, that to me suggests he has changed, right? that competitive element will never go and, and it's a good job because he wouldn't be winning the Masters and the Zozo Championship. Um, when you've won the President's Cup as the favourites and you're the captain and you've got out of jail a little bit, you're playing against probably the most respected international golfer of, of your generation. Uh, the youngest team in the history of the competition, the internationals, they had seven rookies. They had one of their best players in theory, Brandon Grace, was playing so badly he couldn't pick him. Another of their best players in theory was so bad and he was injured that Jason Day couldn't play. They had everything against them except home advantage. And USA scraped through because they're a little bit battle-hardened versus the internationals. And Tiger, in the opening match on Sunday, he played against Abraham Anser, 
who in Mexico a couple of months ago said, I would like to play Tiger Woods. Somehow that was spun as a uh, as a it's statement of arrogance. It? It's like uh, it's like Talkie United saying we'd like to play Manchester United in the FA Cup and everyone going on their backs about it. <laughs> exactly, it proved you wrong. No, yeah. you didn't. As Abraham Answer subsequently said, that experience will live with him and it will make him a better guy. Of course, you want to play Tiger Woods. You're not going to answer that question. Well, I, I take Fee now because he's probably yeah. the worst player. You just <laughs> can't say that and you shouldn't say that. And then for Tiger, to, and, and I think this comes back to the point about a, a slight humor thing and a little bit worldview that Tiger can't see in his head. He cannot separate that. He can't see the nuance of what Answer said. And therefore, he sees it as a me versus you. And if he wants to use that as motivation, that's fine. In fact, it's a, it's a skill and it's a talent. But once you've won, this is three hours after he'd won that match. Why couldn't he have said uh, Abe did played really well because he did? Do you think he calls him Abe? Everyone does. He calls yeah. he calls Patrick P. Um, <laughs> Reed. Patrick Reed P. P Reed. Um, there's a word beginning with P, which I'd call him. But um, <laughs> but I'm sorry, I'm going on here. But he could easily have said. You know, uh, Answer played really well. I had to be at my best to beat him today. You know, he's this. This might be one of my last Presidents Cups as a player. He's going to have many more, um, and you know, he's a player we're going to have to deal with years to come. And you know, he could have even made a joke. He could have said, maybe next time he'll be a bit lucky with the draw. That would have been yeah. funny. Yeah. But there's no need. There's no need to be a dick about it, basically. Uh, and he was. And he's had plenty of funny moments in press conferences as yeah, well. So it's quite funny. surprising. But it's, it's this, this strange. Look. He did a Brent look. Like he closed his eyes and sort of shrugs, if to say, you know, and that's the game. Yeah. The video um, of them on the bus afterwards was funny, though, wasn't it? When Tiger was looked, clearly yeah, hammered. He very hammered. Hilarious. He'd had two Mitchell of Ultras and he was <laughs> absolutely gone. Uh, right, we've done that. We've done that. So now we can... Because uh, I think villain of the year might be the most interesting category. So uh, Definitely going to be the most fun, isn't it? You kick us off. Right. I've been so, talking for a long time. So in at three, um, we started with Sergio Garcia um, for his Saudi antics, mainly. Are you sure he wasn't a um, mole? Like for you, like a UNICEF mole. I really like the idea that he it's was great, isn't it? But, but um, it's not true. He's just a petulant, petulant man-child. Yeah. So obviously his uh, petulance got the better of him, um, and he took it out on the Saudi Arabian golf course, which I don't know the name of it. Don't really care. Uh, Royal um, JP Royal, Greens or something. Royal something. Uh, um, nameless, faceless, horse washing yeah. playground. So uh, yeah, so he took it out on a couple of bunkers, didn't he? And uh, yeah, and yeah. then on the and, greens, and a and few greens, I think. Yeah, Robert so. Rock was furious, and I've never seen Robert Rock furious, but he was furious. I can't imagine Robert Rock being no, furious. his hair was too out nice. of place and all sorts. I don't think we need to go too much into this. Like everything's been said that can possibly be said about Sergio Garcia and that incident, but the fact that he still took his appearance fee after getting disqualified tells you everything you need to know about the incident. And it's and his punishment though, he's got to go. His punishment. Got to go back. He's, got, he's got to go back. But this time he can't get paid. With no appearance. But he can fee. still earn money if he wins the event. He'll still win two million dollars or whatever. Um, so he's just not getting paid to be there, which I don't think that really solves the problem. But that's, at least it's a punishment. It's that feels like a guarantee that he's going to win it, isn't it? Like, it, I just, I, just, like yeah, that would bring yeah. it full circle, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, and just sort of smash the greens with his trophy afterwards. Um, yeah, so Sergio Garcia, I've, number two, I've thrown in a bit of a sort of topical curveball. Number two, I was talking about this the other day, it was, uh, so I'm glad it's come up. Um, it's uh, Gonzalo Fernandez Castaño. Um, I was going to put an accent on that. I'm really glad I didn't. Um, <laughs> who tweeted uh, Greta Thunberg with a, is that how you pronounce her name? Greta Thun- Thunberg. Yeah, Thunberg. Have, uh, I've just been to Scandinavia. Let's so say Thunberg. I understand them as um, people. But we're English, so we're going to say Thunberg. Thunberg is fine. With um, he tweeted her with a, a map of all the um, places he'd been on aeroplanes and his carbon footprint. 
and said, what was the exact word? He's deleted it now, isn't it? But it was something Has like it was something like have uh, that Greta or something yeah, like that. It was yeah. it was utterly pathetic. It was uh, pathetic from from a grown man. And actually, that alongside with um, the the recent general election in the UK has sort politics. of shown the uh, sorry Just politics politics. It's sort of shown the uh, uh, the right wing tendencies of the uh, some of the uh, richest players in the game. I mean, ah, yeah, we could throw in a few more villains here, can't we? Look, yeah. let's just be clear. I, I just like to clarify this because I, I do a bit of politics on Twitter and I get lambasted for it. Rightly so. I genuinely woke up this morning and thought, just stop tweeting about politics. But I can't help myself, Alex. I can't help myself. I think that every time you tweet about it as well. Stop tweeting about politics. But I genuinely agree with you on it sure, all, so I'm quite you, happy for well, you Well, you don't do click it. like very often. I just want to clarify this. I don't believe voting conservative makes you a scumbag, right? Yeah, let's, let's, let's put that on record. That's I, I think it's important. Yeah. But I think... Uh, Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter telling uh, this country how they should feel from their Florida bases uh, with their millions in the bank. That grates a bit, doesn't it? When, it's just when, when someone like Poulter's coming out, and I mean, if it's not you know getting upset because nan- his nanny can't fly first class, yeah, it's, it's you know it's he's, classless. He's calling Jeremy Corbyn a prat or whatever he called him, and, and look, they've, had, they've as much of a right as I have, I guess, to to make clear their political opinions, but. There's a way to do it. And yeah. I certainly think the point, you know, Poulter can say all he likes about why he lives in the States. Why does he live specifically in Florida? Mm. You know, um, I just don't like being preached to by people who don't face the day-to-day realities of living in the country. Um, so, yeah, oh, stop yeah. being idiots. Could not put that as far as Gonzalo Fernandez Castanho goes, picking fights with a teenager, you know, leave that to the president, yeah? Well, I mean, he must... Castanho must have seen the way people have gone after the likes of Trump and, and any other middle-aged white man who want to go after a teenager about because she wants to save the planet. And, and thought, do you know what? I want to get involved in that. I want people slagging me this off. This will go down well. And not to mention the fact he missed almost, like what was it, like 95% of the cuts on all those trips. So it's just like, it, 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 was, just, it was utterly pathetic. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. And I think I actually screen-grabbed it because I was thinking, that's going to be that's deleted. That's going to be deleted. And lo and behold, it was. Journalism has changed, hasn't it? Uh, should we go number one? Number one. Um, I don't think there's any surprises here. No. Um, Mr. P. Reed. P. Preed. Uh, Patrick Reed. So I wrote Heroes and Villains pieces, I keep saying. Um, he, he's not in it because he hadn't done anything. Done prior, to time, the, yeah. you know, prior to the Hero World Challenge, actually, Patrick Reed would have been my, one of my top five golfers of the year because I tipped five winning golfers this year and he was one of them. Um, but at the Hero World Challenge, he cheated, Alex. He, I mean, you've thrown the C word straight in. I'm waiting um, for a sort of cease and desist from the PGA Tour. Yeah, I, um, I... But the thing is, you know when you, you do media training, right? They tell you as if it's provable, then, you know, you can say it, right? It's not opinion, is it? I suppose the opinion element is intent. Did he mean to do it? Did he seek an advantage? I don't think there's any question, and therefore I'm no, happy to use it. No, I agree it. with you. I don't you, think yeah. everybody has to think the same. If you want to take a very uh, favourable view, then you can, but um, I think it's a bit naive. And I think that... Two points I'll make before giving you the floor because I'm talking too much. One is stupidity is no defence. People say, oh, well, why would he do it on camera? He's rich, he's leading the tournament, he could have just chipped out sideways and you know, he still bogeyed the hole anyway. Just because you're an idiot, you know, why, why did the Aussies tamper with the ball? You know, they were on TV. Why did Maradona put his hand up? Because he thought he might get away with it in the moment and he cheated, right? And I think in other sports, golfers still got this strange thing where you're not allowed to say people cheat. Why wouldn't people cheat at golf? They cheat at everything else. People cheat in all walks of life, sport, no sport. But, you know, people cheat. They're not always bad people either. They make mistakes. 
but it's called cheating. And that's what he did, you know? And Simon Dyson, it lived with him his whole career, the rest of his career, when he got banned for three months by the European Tour. The reason it won't with Patrick Reed, I mean, it, it will follow him around, but the PGA Tour, who I think are the biggest villains here, decided to say, you know what? He's a good guy. And that really annoyed me. Yeah, I, first of all, it's it's like the Mickelson Saudi Arabia thing. Like, does he just think we're idiots? Like, don't... I mean, we, it's it, it has literally been filmed... <laughs> I mean, anyone that has ever stood, any golfer that has stood in a bunker and clipped a bit of sand with their club knows they've done it. If you, I mean, even if you just stood in some sand and just did it, like not hitting a shot, you know you've clipped the sand. It's not, I mean, it, it's the fact that he's taken us for idiots is, is the thing that annoys me the most. In terms of should he been disqualified or anything like that, I mean, I will refer to our rules expert, Steve, who says that it's a, it's a two-shot penalty. Now, that's what the rule book says. The rule book says he should have had a two-shot penalty for, for what he did. Um, but then he did it twice, so should it have been a four-shot penalty? What I really didn't like was that was when Slugger White, who is obviously the, the, the big dog at, the in the PGA Tour's commissioning um, um, he's got a ridiculous or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to come out and say that you know he could not have been more of a gentleman about it. And, then, and not only that, you fast-forward a couple of days to... Um, the President's Cup and, and the players are, like Justin Thomas that really I hated that Justin Thomas getting in the bunker and and you know flicking the sand and messing around and and uh, and just sort of making a joke of it and you think like is that really how you see it like you, you can't possibly I mean these guys use Twitter as much as you and I do and they must have gauged the reaction to it's, that yeah it's just, a sense of the tone isn't it it's like I mean I, I actually think maybe if you're being generous in your assessment, maybe the PGA Tour would have punished him harsher were it not for the fact the President's Cup flight was about to leave. Yeah. And if, you know, you do that, you're a PGA Tour run the President's Cup, don't forget. Tiger Woods is obviously their main commodity. To upset all that and all that planning and all the preparation, he was a captain's pick. Um, that, it would have been massive, but that's where leadership is. And it wasn't you know, a, it wasn't a full PGA to, uh, Tour money. event either. It was the Hero World no, Challenge. But so they, I think was, that... they were still legislating it. They were still the rule makers. So they, I mean, you're right, and Steve's right, the two-shot penalties in the rule book, but they do have the option of further sanctions. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a shame. The biggest shame is that Patrick Reed decided to do that, but the, the next is that the PGA Tour have evidently... Uh, swept it for want of a better phrase under the carpet if he does it at the masters he gets booted out yeah yeah take away the green jacket that's what you're saying isn't oh, it? imagine God, imagine that Ooh. imagine the hits you'd get off of that story and then his caddy punched someone so that was cool um but we can <laughs> we'll skip on from that to tournament of the year and uh we've talked a couple of these so uh, we'll probably rattle through a little bit and get on to player of the year the, the final part of our not another golf award um, but tournament of the year, we've we've gone with the team events as a dual award in third. That seems fair. Yeah, it seems like we're sort of bottling it on a lot of these by just giving dual awards out. But yeah, we give yeah. A few, so we? presidents and Solheim Cup, we've we've spoken about them loads in the last what, hour, however long we've been chirping on for. Both incredible to watch. Both gave you that. I mean, I would have Solheim above presidents um, if it was me. I'd have Solheim in third. I've said enough about it. I'm yeah, here's a question. If it, and it's a question that, like, when whenever you ask someone a question that the, the answer is never going to be reality, it kind of it renders it less relevant. But if you could play, let's say you could have, I don't know, Justin Thomas's game for a day or whatever, and you could play in one event, uh, would it be a team event or would you just play in the Open or the Masters? Let's ignore like the course. Let's not say, oh well, I'd play Augusta because it's yeah, Augusta. No, that's fair. You, you have a chance to win um, one of these events. Would you want to win a major or would you want to win the the Ryder Cup for Europe? Yeah, it's funny because 
it's it's something that you ask um, players, isn't it? You, you are, uh, I've asked Ian Porter before, like, would you give up your Ryder Cups for a major? And he says, absolutely not. He doesn't even think about it. It's just absolutely no. Um, when yeah, was, if you ask the guy with the majors whether well, he'd give yeah, them up for exactly, Ian Poulter's yeah. Ryder Cup, they'd um, say no as well. That is definitely something I need to do. I should have asked Jordan, shouldn't I? I'll text him in a bit. Uh, I, I did actually ask Ricky uh, about the, the, the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, and he said it's, it's the most fun week of your career, basically. He says it has so much fun, but I guarantee he'd give up his Ryder Cup win and his and his President's Cup wins for, for majors. It's I love the thing. fact that Ryder Cup win is a singular there. Has he won it? That was br- Yeah, yeah. yeah was he in the 16, team, uh, Hazel team? He must 16, have been there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was a bit brutal. Sorry, Rick. Um, I can call him Rick. Uh, Me, uh, uh, look, you have these kind of fantasy chats over the over the desk at work and, and wherever, or just at the golf club, and, and you say which which of the majors would you want to win? For me, I'm British. The Open. It's the oldest major. It's the one that really gets the the juices flowing. It's the one I've watched the longest. Like I grew up watching it with my granddad and then my dad and and so on. And, and when you know when it was sort of wall to wall on BBC back in the um, early ninety late eighties early nineties for for me. So yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're giving me the opportunity to have Justin Thomas's game for for a week, um, I'm I'm going to the Open, preferably at St Andrews and winning it, please. Good for you. I'll go uh, Ryder Cup, Open, Masters, in descending order. If um, I've won the Open, I'm almost certainly going to be in the next Ryder Cup team anyway. So That's a good so point. I'm sort of yeah, thinking yeah. ahead. Yeah, I did say you could only have his game for one week. Whatever. Uh, so Imagine I've if gone... you won the Open and then just suddenly had a 14 handicappers game again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, but you're top of the Ryder Cup points now. <laughs> slowly falling out of the... Can I take myself out of this? Uh, second, in tournament of the year, we've gone for the Open Championship. I mean, I will just say that uh, of all the Opens I've been to... Um, and I'm sorry to say this, Alex, because I, you know, you know as well as I do, I've enjoyed your company at the Open. There's the boy band shot. There's the other stuff. I wondered how long that would take the, to come up. The laughs we've had and the work we have done. Um, but this one was the best, and it's a shame you weren't there. Um, it was for me like it felt like sometimes you go to like I'm not just picking on Muirfield, but you feel a little bit like you've uh, upset a lot of people barging yeah. in for a week. Um, when you uh, when you got to Port Rush, you felt like you joining in a big party and the culmination of years of progress and and obviously there's a wider well the whole community was part of it going back there wasn't it it wasn't just it, Clark and McDowell and exactly McCoy. it yeah. was everyone involved wanted exactly. it back there for the first and time since it's so close to the town just perched on the cliff top a beautiful golf course and then we got a, a brilliant winner from from Ireland I mean in so many ways you couldn't have scripted it uh, to be any better than that even the Rory element like having Rory as the story but not the distraction over yeah. the weekend because if he makes the cut and he shoots a pair of weekend 66s to finish eight. That somehow is still part a big part of the narrative. But instead, it was right. Rory's gone, and he said it himself on the Friday night. He's just going to turn on the TV and, and cheer for Shane. And oh, yeah. it's just absolutely, um, yeah. I, I, it's it's all downhill now. I've got to go to Kent next year for God's sake. Um, I mean, outside of those Northern Ireland boys, like Lowry, is it, he was the perfect winner, wasn't he? It absolutely. Was, it was... And when you're talking about, and again, you know, Rory and Shane, and they were keen not to make too much of this, and I. I think in many respects it was to the benefit of the event and the sport that um, it was able to exist on its own without having to cross the line of of political debate. But, you know, if you're talking about an event of real unity, and I, I was there, I had a beer with a couple of guys from the South, and it just felt to me like, I, you know, from what I've seen on television, you're talking 20 years since, you know, 
a totally different country existed. And I know there's still work to do, but to then have a winner from the South and he was treated like one of their own. Like when he when those people followed him down the fairways, they were from all over Ireland. Well, Darren, I'm, I'm again, it doesn't sound like Daz. But yeah, Daz. You play with Daz, haven't you? I went, I went to play some golf with Daz. I spoke to him and, and he said... He said, I think his exact quote, if I remember rightly, was if you told me 20 years ago the Open was going to be back in Northern Ireland, you would have been sectioned. Yeah. So, um, yeah, astonishing week. Uh, and just watching it from home was very emotional. I can't imagine to begin what it was, uh, begin to imagine what it was like uh, to actually be there. So, um, yeah, incredible week. Um, but it's just been pipped into second place, hasn't it? It has. I think we can, you know, and we're, we're going to cover this twice, really, I suppose, the, the, the big players involved here. But the Masters wins. Because for pure drama, again, I think if I think actually in some ways the the Open's biggest drama was on Thursday morning. Sure. The Masters' biggest drama was on Sunday morning, and somehow made more dramatic by the fact that they teed off in the morning. You know, it wasn't the usual yeah, Masters. You know, drizzly you know, and it's just strange old. Yeah, it's easy to. That's it's nice, isn't it? Because as as golf writers in the UK covering something, oh, uh, God, and, yeah. and you're up until sort of God knows what hour doing it, and you, you know you go into bed at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning to actually finished by about 11 p.m. was utterly astonishing and it was, it was very strange feeling and quite a nice feeling but you know didn't have to stay up ridiculously late but and to have Tiger winning it and as I said earlier it's it did change hands it did feel like the, the lead was changing hands every minute or so and it was it was just incredible and then of course Tiger to come out on top um, I mean it's not really very often um, unless I've backed uh, unless I've you know, backed the winner it's not very often that I properly celebrate like I'd celebrate a football goal do you know what I mean like a, a you know fist pumping in my like running around my like taking my top off in my living room and stuff and and, and that really when Ty, when that putt dropped for Tiger I think I celebrated harder than he did on the green <laughs> and boy did he celebrate yeah it was a great moment wasn't it and the, um, it's funny how things shift because then you're thinking if he loses if he misses out there I think We've probably been asking ourselves, does he ever have a better chance to win another uh, Masters? And then immediately afterwards, you know, we spent the next three weeks or whatever it was to the PGA. You know, is he going to? Sure, he's going to. He's just going to win another, isn't he? And uh, he's win all of them. It didn't turn out like that. And it, actually, I think he played some of his best golf towards the end of the year after the latest round of surgery. But yeah, a wonderfully dramatic day. I mean, it's easy, so easy to forget that Dustin Johnson nearly won the Masters. He was never in it, and he just had this closing burst and and so nearly stole it. Brooks Kepka, um, you know, he made the. Did he make? He either made bogey or double at 12, certainly hitting the water. I feel like he made double, but then he made an eagle at the 13th. I think he got the shots back straight away. And and that was the, the ebb and flow of the afternoon. You had Molinari going backwards, Finau just about keeping his hopes alive, and uh, and Cantlay making that big run, uh, which came unstuck. Xander Schauffele as well. At one point, it looked like he was going to win. Um, pretty much the whole US President's Cup side had a chance to win at some point. In the end, it was their captain who uh, who did it. So yeah, I think the Masters was the most dramatic and entertaining Sunday of the year if we ignore, you know, I mean, the Mauritius Open was great, but at the end of the day, only me and three other people were watching. So uh, yeah, for me, um, that was, if if you're saying to me, which tournament made, like brought, stirred the most emotion in you, then that was it. Uh, and a worthy uh, winner. Deservedly our number one. Visit sportinglife.com and log in for free to become an insider. There you can unlock loads of exclusive features, including unlimited video replays, tips and previews, live score update notifications, betting offers and more. We're nearly there, folks, nearly there. And the final category for the Not Another Golf Podcast Awards is Not Another Golf Award, oh, I don't know, Player of the Year, uh, Alex. Now we're, we're now at the point where we've 
talked about all the players involved in the conversation here. There were so many that we could have included, um, but probably only one we could give the main award to. But first, we're going to start with number three on the list, Jin Young Ko. And again, who better to tell us why she's worthy of her place on the podium than Matt Cooper? Yeah, Jin Young Ko is a 24-year-old from uh, South Korea. And uh, four years ago, she gave us a little bit of a clue about how good she was when she finished second at the 2015 uh, Rico Women's British Open. It was a pretty astonishing performance that week because she'd never played Lynx golf. She played very little golf in the practice round. And she then went on and just played absolutely sensational uh, golf in terrible conditions, completely mocked the idea that you have to be experienced to play Lynx golf. But then it was really strange. She kind of disappeared for two years. No one really knew what had happened to her, apart from the fact she was doing very well in Korea. And then uh, last year, she came back to the LPGA, performed very well. And this year, she's been sensational. She has uh, made 22 starts, all bar one of them top 30. And that event, she withdrew. 10 top fives, including four wins, three seconds and two thirds. But away from the numbers, which anyone can reel off, what, what is it about Jin Young Ko that's made her so special and has helped her to number one in the world? I think the really big thing is that she's got a sensational ability to play shots and just give it finished there. As soon as the shot has been resulted, she, she goes on to the next shot. She's not concerned by having made mistakes. And it's that great sort of thing that everybody would like to do when they play golf and actually just enjoy life. Is to just cope with whatever's happened, not get confused, smile on your face. That's what she's managed to do. And it's taken her to the top of the world, uh, the women's game. And she's been pretty sensational. Thanks to Matt for uh, telling us about Jin Young Ko's performances throughout 2019. Very much a worthy recipient of the uh, third place on the podium. Number two, Alex, uh, we've gone with Rory McIlroy. We have gone with Rory McIlroy. Now, um, two months ago, people were saying he shouldn't even be player of the year on the PGA Tour. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So him and Brooks went up together against each other for that award. Um, McRoy came away with it. And yeah, I think I'm still undecided about which. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I was a bit cheeky with Ricky Fowler, actually, and asked him who um, whose season he would rather have had. And he was very non-committal about it. He was decided he would have had either of them. Um, you know, Fowler hasn't had the best year. No, as I said, I'm still undecided. I don't know. But for me, I think probably I'm just edging Brooks because of majors. I think majors, yep. majors Fair. define careers, don't they? Um, which way would you have gone? Who would you, where, who would you have voted for if you were? Uh, that's difficult. Um, depends when the voting closed. Um, but well, let's say it was at the end of the season after the tour championship. Yeah, after the tour championship, I'd probably just lean towards Rory. But accepting that this is, you can make the case either way, can't you? I think in terms of our awards, obviously, I'd, I sort of include what's happened since winning in uh, the WGC HSBC champions um, and generally playing at a level which suggests uh, huge things in 2020. Really excited for him uh, going forward because I, I think he's right back to his best. I think the level of competition's improved so we're not going to see a year like 2014 necessarily but uh, who's to say if he went and won the Masters he wouldn't and kick on and win another couple of majors. It, it's just he's been stuck on for far too long. Far too long and I think actually when we when we do see him win the fifth you might even see that what happened at Port Rush and I don't want to talk about it again but that actually could have been a real turning point in his career um just a, a, a sort of chance to reset and say right what do I want from he's 30 now 
I've had the first 10, 15 years of my career. What do I want from the last 10 or 15 years? And I think uh, he's really realizing that what he wants is to win as many majors as possible. And I think the foundations of that and the Players' Championship and final round in Canada and winning in China, where he was really good uh, down the stretch, I think that could uh, could really light a fire in him, along with what happened at Portrush. I get, again, I'd, I'd use a football analogy. It's one of those things where a, a struggling striker scores a goal and then suddenly they go on and score 20 for the season. Um, and I, I get that feeling with McElroy as well. I feel like if it, I feel like if he gets the Masters monkey off his back, Agree, yeah. I feel like he'll go on and win into double figures. But, I mean, as, I mean I'm mean, i very much in the McElroy will win the Masters camp. I absolutely think he will. He's just, he's just too good not to win it. Um, but then I also said that, you know, Luke Donald, Lee Westwood, etc., are too good to not win a major well, and they I still think, haven't. Uh, so. it, it feeds into an interesting point in that if you take Kepka, DJ, Rahm, Justin Thomas, uh, Rory, Cantley, Shoffley, that's eight players, I think. Um, you know, add a couple more if you like, but what, at least probably half of them won't win the Masters. Yeah. And I think we all think that oh, Patrick Cantley's bound to win a major. He isn't. He isn't bound to win a major because that's not how it works. And yet I, f- I still feel like I would happily write that. Um, and I think we said earlier that Sun James probably got majors in his future. But there's so many golfers that uh, are good enough now that it becomes harder and harder in a strange way to say that they are going to be good enough because good enough is is, is moving line. And all of us, you've got four of them to play with for every year. So it, it's hard. But I agree. I think Rory will win the Masters, but... You know, let's not underestimate the size of the achievement when he does. When he's when he's on his game, he's the best player on the planet. I agree. So, so yeah, every, if every you've, player you've is on the a game. lot of Twitter there immediately, <laughs> but I agree. But he is, isn't he? I, yeah, I agree. I love. I just love watching him. You know, when his shoulders are going, when, when he's, he's walking bouncing. off the. I'm yeah, doing. I'm doing the motion, you but it's not very good motion, for the podcast, yeah. is it? Um, when he's bouncing off a green, when he's like that shot he hit. Was it Abu Dhabi when he hit that three or five wood into the into the green? Uh, Dubai in the, uh, yeah. Dubai, sorry, yeah, uh, in the Tour Championship and. You just you see him like the way he like he has that spring in his step, doesn't he? And it's uh, yeah. incredible to watch. Yeah, it's like it that that sort of stirs emotion inside that I didn't think it would. Just watching Rory bouncing off a green. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, equally as importantly, you might say his hair was looking great towards the end of the year. He's grown out a bit, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he has. He has. Um, maybe that's maybe that was the secret. He cut all his maybe, hair off yeah. and then stopped winning majors, and now he's. I guess that one of nothing the to do with the Nike be, clubs. <laughs> no, one of the interesting things would be whether uh, he and his wife decide to have kids at any stage, and whether how that affects him. Because we have the to, nappy factor. Yeah, well, it could work either way. Like I mean, with Sergio, it's been difficult for him. Clearly, you know, he looks like a man who's not slept for a long time, and it, it, different people are affected in different ways. Different people have different levels of help and involvement and all that stuff. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Rory because it is a change in your your personal life, and actually, quite a lot of these golfers. Thomas, uh, Spieth, Kepka, Ram, Ram less so. He's getting married over the winter, but you know they're getting to the age where they probably are thinking about having kids, and um, that's a, th- a further interesting dynamic that's always hard to understand because rightly we're kept away from that part of their lives in general. But it, it will it will affect some of them in good ways and some of them in bad ways, and um, yeah. Again, I wonder it, if he if he wins the Masters and then has a baby, if he'll do the Garcia thing and, and call name. It, call it Azalea. Azalea. That's yeah. Garcia. Firethorn. 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 Now, now we're talking. Very good. Cool. Number one. Can we move on? 
Yes, let's move on. This is so, the least surprising award of the day, I think. But. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, let's build it up a little bit. Okay, so, player of the year. There were so the, many contenders. It the, could have been Suzanne Patterson. <laughs> it could have been... Um, no, it was always going to be Tiger Woods. It was always going to be Tiger Woods. The Not Another Golf Podcast Player of the Year. Of the year. Uh, Eldrick for, let, Let's pick Woods. a word. <laughs> I only, it's easy for me to... I've got one, but it's like... No, let's not do that. It's a rubbish idea. Right, I'm, the reason I think it's such a spectacular year is not because he won the Masters per se, although that was amazing. It's because he won the Masters having, you know, everything that had gone before it. And... And also because he, he managed to like come back from another surgery later in the year and win the Zozo Championship. And I, some of the golf he's played, for all that we've just said about Rory, and I stand by that, for some of the golf he's played, particularly in the Zozo, it's like watching a clinic of someone in full control of their ball flight. I think someone said it at the President's Cup, the, they have the, the eight windows, is it? Like, is it a Hogan thing where you, yeah. you, you hit a, a low fade, a medium fade, all that sort of stuff. He was doing all those shots, like an artist. And... That's really fun to watch. Like his under, it's no wonder that he says um, after the President's Cup, you know, we should be playing more courses like this because how many majors would he have? I, th- I think he'd have at least five more because you know, if next year he's going to go to like I don't know Harding Park in San Francisco and it's probably just going to be bombs away and if it's a little yeah. bit soft, it'll be fairly low scoring and he might still win it, but the difference between that or a Bell Reeve where he was trying to chase down Kepka. He'd have beat Kepka at Royal Mail, but I'm sure of it. Um, so, yeah, fascinating to see what he can do from here. But a, a, a remarkable comeback, which we can't do just. Well, it's not, it's not just what he's done this year. It's, it's where he's come from, as you were just alluding to there. It's, you know, if you think two years ago when, you know, the DUI and all that stuff uh, and the mugshot, that mugshot. And um, the, the chipping yips as well, like exactly, chip yeah. the ball. That was like we we thought we'd seen the death of Tiger Woods, then, didn't we? Well, like, if we if if we were sat here in 2017 and I said to you, which player out of Tiger Woods and McIlroy will win the Masters next? <laughs> I'd have laughed. You Who out of town. on the planet? I'd have said, say, "Why are you asking this? Have you got <laughs> have you got some sort of glimpse into the future?" Um, but yeah, he's it's a remarkable. I called it self resurrection on the assumption that resurrection requires a third party. I think Jesus probably had a third God, presumably. Presumably it was God who resurrected You said there was going to be no Christmas chat. Oh, is oh yeah, he is to do with Christmas, isn't he? Um, oh, it's literally his name. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, assuming resurrection in its standard form requires a third party, uh, Tiger Woods did it all by himself. Because he, he has always been an individualistic person. He's always, he's always I know he had his dad, Earl, and um, you know he's, had, he's leaned on, say, Steve Williams at times in his career and stuff. But really, he's one of the most single-minded uh, soloists in, in sport. And uh, so all the credit, it's not like we have to go, you know, no one was talking about his swing coach. Like his coach, all the people who've worked with him deserve some credit, but it was all about Tiger Woods. And I think that's a really sort of symbolic because that's, that's what it's always been about. Um, but now, in a strange way, we're invited in to share it with him in a way that we weren't before. Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest things for me was, um, you know, the last couple of years, has Tiger still got that mentality about him that he can, you know, get in the zone and stare down the best in the game? And and the realisation for that actually came very recently when, when Tony Finau was talking ahead of the President's Cup. You know, this is months after the Masters win. And he said to him, you know, Tony Finau's got a chance to win the Masters and he's playing with Tiger Woods. And he, he said, I think he said something like he got to the seventh or eighth hole and he, they hadn't said a word to each other other than just greeting each other on the tee. And then he, he, I think he tried to say something like, how are the kids or something almost as good as you and you and Murray. 
but he, he said something really bland like how are the kids or something if I, if I remember that correctly and then Tiger just went they're fine and then they just didn't say another word yeah. to each other and, and that is kind of like a, a confirmation that Tiger has still got that in him which is which is very pleasing yeah uh, especially yeah. going into next year I mean we've just you just rattled off a load of players who um, can win majors next year and 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 might not ever win a major despite their obvious talent and yet we're sitting here going I think Tiger's going to win every single major next year. <laughs> it's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all. No, he's uh he's back, isn't he? He's fully back. Um but in a strange way as well for a lot of the summer, I think golf writers quite rightly and I will always defend, you know, people who sort of sit back and just let things unfold. That's fine. But if it's your job to comment and analyse, then you can't do that. So I, I, I don't like this attitude of when Tiger won the Masters. I didn't like the, ha, you know, all you people who wrote him off. Well, why wouldn't you yeah. have written him off? That's the point. Yeah. Without those people writing him off, the story isn't the same. He couldn't we walk. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was getting arrested and he couldn't walk. <laughs> if we, of course if we, we were writing him off. If, if we hadn't done that, if, if various more high-profile people hadn't done that, then we'd just be saying, oh, is Tiger back? Oh yeah, he's one of the masters. Good. We we knew this would happen. That's not how it works. And I think um, I've gone off on a tangent. Uh, I can't find my way back here. But yeah, I think the point is that has has helped with the narrative. It's helped him, I think, as well. Being written off will have actually helped him, and it sets things up perfectly. But for for much of the summer, it looked like that was some kind of remarkable putting things to bed. Like that was number fifteen. He'd done that. And then that was it because he didn't play anywhere like the standards required to win majors throughout the rest of the summer. And then, of course, he went out of surgery again, came out, won the Zozo Championship and then uh, performed brilliantly, won all three matches at the President's Cup. So, yeah, a huge year in store uh, for Tiger Woods. And, and don't be surprised if uh, he's a big contender at Royal Sandwich. Uh, Royal, Royal Sandwich. Royal Kent. Sandwich. Sandwich. Um, Can I throw a, a quick curveball at you? Very quick because we, is... we've gone on far too long. Is Tiger your player of the decade, given that we're about to end this decade? Interestingly, no, no, I, he isn't. I think that would have to be Rory McIlroy. I think for sustained uh, achievement, uh, you look at his sort of world ranking graph, it really doesn't go much from the top. For, for all other things like comeback and all that sort of stuff, Tiger maybe, but Rory has won four majors this decade. He's won a couple of FedEx Cups. He's won, what, three maybe European tour money lists I would think maybe two um, you know for for all the things he hasn't achieved that we still talk about because we expected him to achieve them let's not if we're going to take a, a view of the decade it allows us to really remember what he has achieved and he's also been a part of what three winning Ryder Cup sides as well so uh, no for me that's no contest is the correct answer should we bring on our guest yeah, let's do that. Uh, yeah, we talked a lot about the Solheim Cup already and some of the stars of women's golf this year. One of the stars for me, genuinely, has been Megan McLaren and her willingness to tackle issues that others won't tackle. Not only that, um, her ability to do so eloquently and interestingly. Like, you know, it, it's it's a skill. And uh, to do that where you're trying to, uh, you know, sustain a career in professional golf and globe trotting and all the stuff that comes with it it was really impressive um so yeah we're going to chat with her about the solheim cup about what's coming up in in ladies golf for the year uh, that has just gone and a few more things besides uh, so that will be after the break and then we'll be back to talk about the year ahead visit sportinglife.com and log in for free to become an insider there you can unlock loads of exclusive features including unlimited video replays, tips and previews, live score update notifications, betting offers, and more. 
As promised then, the final part of uh, the last episode of the year for Not Another Golf Podcast is another of our interviews and we're really pleased to be joined by Megan McLaren. Hi, Megan. Hi, guys. How are you doing? We're very well. I'm Alex. I'm very well. Good. Thank I'm you, Megan, for I don't asking. think I even introduced, did a proper introduction there in the preamble, but never mind. <laughs> um, we'll crack on. Um, Megan, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're talking about what's happening in golf this year and... Um, uh, with it. You know, let's cut to the chase. I put you in a, as a hero in my feature um, on Sporting Live for your blogging this year. I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you was um, how you got into that, why you decided to put your thoughts down on paper, and has there been any pushback against that from the LET, or are you just sort of free to go and talk about whatever you like? It's funny. I've been asked like quite a bit over the last year kind of why I write or what made me do it, and I still don't have an answer. You think I would like have at least made something up by now, but... Um, I don't know I just I've enjoyed writing for a long time like I did you know studied English in college which meant that I was writing a lot and I think just the the whole process of trying to make sense of what you want to say by putting it in a structure on paper I think that just kind of stuck with me and I guess I just think a lot as well so I needed I needed somewhere other than my brain to uh to process that so I think that's just how it how it ended up being put into a blog format um in terms of like pushback i haven't had anything i've been i've been really lucky in terms of you know the support that i've got and and kind of seeing my name come up in in the piece like you did um it always surprises me because most of the time i just think you know nobody actually reads the stuff that i write so it's quite a nice little surprise whenever i find out that people do do kind of pay attention to what i say so it makes it worthwhile. Every writer thinks that. And unfortunately, <laughs> some of us have analytics to confirm that actually no one read that. <laughs> Soul destroying. Um, what, what would you say to, um, you know, L.E.T.'s Eddie Pepperell? Is that a comparison that sits well with you? You're a bit less controversial than Eddie. <laughs> I know. It's funny. I remember somebody tweeting that and they got, um, well, I don't want to get anybody into trouble, but I had a bit of... Um, uh, backlash to that people saying that that wasn't a fair comparison and stuff I mean I, I like it because I think Eddie's an incredible incredible character and um, and one that kind of makes makes people take notice of golf and kind of doesn't take himself too seriously where I think I possibly do a little bit more um, but he still doesn't follow me on Twitter which is a little bit disappointing <laughs> Does he, follow you? he doesn't follow me and you, you interviewed him in a podcast I've interviewed him in a podcast and he doesn't follow me follows me <laughs> everyone follows you the th- thing is though we were joking about this earlier like if I met him in public I'd just say something stupid and he would unfollow me so I'm, I really hope I never meet Eddie Pepperell we can remain internet friends Alex you were going to say something do you, more sensible do you ever um, just on that on the controversial stuff do you ever write something and then think oh god I can't write that I'm going to get so much stick for that and then delete it or <laughs> um, not so much in my blogs because my blogs tend to be more I guess about golf or about you know the stuff that kind of happens to me um but sometimes i'll tweet something and i will think you know especially now that it's been happening for a while i kind of know the stuff that's gonna get you know gonna get some backlash and gonna get but the thing is now i kind of know exactly the kind of comments that are gonna happen so i just sort of accept that that's gonna happen but that it's worth tweeting anyway um is that I, not you know i Sorry, Sorry, I was just going to say, is that not a bit demoralising sometimes that you know that you're just going to get the same Neanderthal reaction to things, like especially things about you know women's pay in golf and stuff like that? It is, yeah. Especially like the longer this year's gone on, the more I've felt that way, and the more some of the stuff I'm like, it's not even worth tweeting now because 
a i feel like people are starting to understand that this is the reality you know when it comes to pay and things like that so there's there's possibly only so much you can say so many times you can prove the same point because every time it happens you get the same arguments back and if i'm not willing to kind of completely you know spend hours and hours responding to everybody with what i actually think then it feels a bit bit of a waste of time um and you know i have i've said what i think but people can't be bothered to go back and and find that they just take everything you say in an isolated bubble kind of you just made me feel terribly sad about my own existence. I'm going to close my Twitter account uh, tomorrow. Um, look, it's been a it's been a massive year in in golf, and we're trying to cover it in this podcast. But there'll be so much we've missed out. But obviously, in terms of the ladies' European tour, it kind of started in Jordan with the mixed open. Um, you played so well there, finished second. I mean, what what was that tournament like? And do you think? that sort of format has a future. Obviously, it was great in showcasing the talents, not only of the, the ladies' game, but also the seniors' game, as well as the Challenge Tour. Um, I'm guessing it was a great experience. It was amazing, yeah. It was, you know, like, for me, winning tournaments is kind of, that's what we all play golf for. But in terms of how a tournament has really shaped the way I felt about a whole year or about my career, that one's been the biggest one for me. And I think it's just because... It, it made me feel so proud of like the golf world, which, you know, doesn't always happen. I'm sure you've probably covered it as well. You know, there's a lot of social media, especially, you know, it can make you feel like it's not not really a place that you want to, you know, stand up and say, this is this is what I'm involved in. Um, but Jordan really felt like that. You know, it was it was different parts of the golf world coming together and saying, this is what we can produce and we think it will be pretty special. And that's how it felt playing in it and kind of all the, the feedback that I had personally and that the tournament had as well. I think it really showed what's so special about golf. Do you, do you feel, Megan, like you like there has been real progress over the course of the year? I mean, obviously the year ended with the LPGA and the LET merger and feels like the future for women's golf in Europe is brighter now on the back of that and the Solheim Cup. But do you feel like, you know, this is obviously bigger than two tours. Do you feel like you can sort of track progress from the feedback you get? I know sort of often the idiots are the loudest, but do you feel like things are moving in the right direction? Yeah, I think that's where I have to be careful as well not to get sucked into thinking the way social media talks is kind of the way the whole world talks. And actually, I suppose you can apply that to everything, not just sport. Um, but definitely, I think the women's golf in Europe and across the world is in a far stronger place than it has been over the past few years. And kind of the LPGA has grown a lot over the you know especially since Mike Wan's taken over and hopefully that will benefit us in Europe as well and like you said the so the Solheims you know that was that was something else I think that took the the understanding of women's golf to a different place but it's applying that to kind of the the week in week out you know exposure of golf and kind of understanding of what women's golf is about I was reading that you played, obviously, the European Championship last year with, with a good friend of yours. And since then, you played golf sixes as well. How was that? And uh, um, it looks a lot of fun. But how seriously do you take it? Because obviously, for us, the viewer, I mean, for me personally, I have to write about who you're going to bet on. So I sort of have to take it seriously. <laughs> but um, but obviously, it's, its purpose is much broader than that. Is, is that an event you enjoyed playing? Would you be keen to do it again? Yeah, I'd love to do it again. I think I kind of I've said this kind of throughout the year, but anytime 
kind of we as women get a chance to to be on the same stage as the men it's a big deal for us because it is it's a different environment than we're used to and we know that there's more eyeballs on us like that's there's no getting around that so it's an opportunity for us to show what we do do week in week out but there's also kind of an additional pressure there as well I suppose because we want we want to display kind of the best the best side of it as we can we don't have 40 opportunities during the year to do that we've only got two or three and I hope that's where that can start to change and move forward because they, they are a lot of fun you know Jordan was was a lot of fun playing in that last group with players from three different tours that doesn't happen in any other sport so it's um it's something that golf can build on and use as you know one of its sort of market employees if if nothing else obviously things have happened very very quickly and all of a sudden it feels like there's there's a hopefully going to be some sort of snowball effect but one of the main things megan was was the lpga and let merger and, and what that might mean for the future and i guess the the first sort of tangible uh, impact of that is, is the event in saudi next year uh, this is something we touched on briefly with Eddie Pepperell. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I we, we have to appreciate that it's a difficult thing for some some people to talk about. But where do you stand on it? I mean, just for those listening who, who perhaps don't know, we are talking a massive prize pool here. And um, uh, the biggest problem as far as I see as an outsider in, in ladies golf in Europe over the last few years is that people have not been able to afford to really commit to going and, and making themselves a career. And then an opportunity comes along like this where you're playing for a million dollars. It must be a very hard one to pass up. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of different ways to look at it. And it is, you know, it's like five times the prize fund that we'll be playing for in a regular event. And you can't just ignore that. But at the same time, that's not that different to the, some of the men taking appearance fees for playing. At the end of the day, you're looking at, looking at it as a... I don't know. It's almost a where does the <clears throat> where does the money at what point does the money matter more to you than than what you might stand for or what you believe in? But I don't know. Some people can separate those two things. They can separate sort of their their morals or their kind of human being and their athlete identity. You know, they're they're two separate things. And for me my sort of career up to now I've I've tried to not separate any of my kind of identities that's that's one of the things that I kind of I enjoy doing is showing that you don't have to have all these different roles you can be whoever you are in everything that you do and a situation like this obviously complicates things a lot yeah it must do I mean do you think there's any chance um that there will be players who who decide not to play. I mean, in the men's game, it's always difficult when we don't know precisely who they've gone for, but it's clear that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy have turned down money to play in Saudi Arabia. Obviously, it's different for them because, you know, they Rory McIlroy won $15 million a couple of months ago. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, Paul Casey made a real point about it, obviously, with his work with UNICEF. But I am talking about rich golfers who've been offered seven figures to play here, which it, it's different when you're considering whether to go and play for the opportunity to win prize money i guess yeah um it's there, there might be one or two players that don't go i'd be surprised if there's any more than that because like i said it's it's slightly different for for the female game in that you know none of us have have won 15 million dollars in 
in the space of a week or in the space of an entire career. So that that can't not be a factor. But at the same time, it's, you know, where do you draw the line on, on certain things? And there's, you know, different players will believe different things about the event and about where the money comes from and about what the intention of that is. You know, none of us possibly can prove that what we think is is accurate but we can go by you know different players will go by different different things like you said Paul Casey is a UNICEF ambassador and and he'll believe in what they've kind of uncovered or what they believe in so it's it's not a black and white issue but it's um it's one that I wish sport didn't get involved in I, I think as an outsider looking in and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago is that for me personally, and I don't know if Ben agrees or if anyone else agrees, but I would rather the play. I'd rather Phil Mickelson, for example, um, just came out and said, "Well, they've offered me three million. Like, why wouldn't I go?" And now, of course, we can say Phil Mickelson's got more money than he would ever need or could ever spend. Um, but for me, I'd rather players just came out and said, "Look, they've offered me a bucket load of cash." Uh, it's. I mean, the the phrase that should just be banned is "grow the game." It's just. It's it's a nonsense, isn't it? Like we're not stupid. Like we're not. You know, it's a PR stunt for certainly for the for people like Mickelson. Um, this is the angriest I've seen you, Alex. I'm really, really sorry about that. <laughs> um, but I, I think look, there's there's. Um, I I agree with you. I I think in in a in an ideal in an ideal world we wouldn't be there in the first place but the realities of running a, a major golf tour are complicated aren't they and yeah I would rather people be honest I guess it would be easier for uh, the, the ladies to be honest because it's pretty clear why you'd be there yeah. um, to to you know uh, take part in a, in a lucrative event um, keen to move on I thank you Megan for answering the difficult questions because you know <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't want to talk about it at all but let's talk about um, sort of your ambitions going forward I mean I, I read an interview where you, you talked about team golf and as we're just on the back of the President's Cup and obviously a couple of months before that the Solheim Cup as, as a spectator did that sort of fuel your desire to get involved in the Solheim going forward? Yeah I mean it was I didn't know whether I wanted to watch it or not because I was you know I wasn't a million miles away from qualifying for the team and it's one of those when you know when you know you had a chance to be there sometimes it can be hard to kind of watch it watch it unfold i think was it jordan speeth said he he wasn't going to watch any of the president's cup is that what he said but, alex alex is friends I, with jordan speeth so uh, <laughs> yeah he did he yeah did say that. we were texting during the uh, president's cup he wasn't watching <laughs> um but no but at the same time i couldn't i couldn't stop myself from watching it because it's you know it's everything that golf is about and it's I think all those team events, they just add this other dynamic that whether you're in them or whether you're watching them, you can just see the kind of the level of everybody's game rise and the level of motivation and competitiveness rise. And it's, you know, I've played in some team stuff as an amateur and they were, you know, without doubt, they were the best, best things that I played in. And it's, you know, Solheim Cup's the top of the sport in, in women's golf and you want to you want to be part of that so it is motivating yeah definitely obviously it's a, it's a team event and without what had happened before then then the final acts of the Solheim Cup wouldn't have been able to be so significant but can you put into context sort of how impressive Suzanne Patterson's performance was to to spend so long not being involved in competitive golf and then and then come and basically perform the the most high pressure act you can a, a putt to win a team event i I can't even get my head around it, but have, have you, do you know Suzanne? No. Have you met her? Can you, or at least, can you tell us what what you think of that achievement? Yeah, I, d I don't know her at all, really. But that 
to be able to do that, I think, just shows what an unbelievable competitor she is. Like, without, you know, without knowing her, without knowing too much about how she practices or the way she thinks about things, you either, I feel like you either have that ability or you don't to be able to come out and, and to know that to get your, that you have to get yourself ready to be able to perform like that. You know, and I think Katrina Matthew kind of painted a pretty clear picture by by picking her and by not even thinking that it was a controversial pick. You know, you had all of the rest of us or the media kind of thinking, wow, she's taken a big gamble there. But I'm pretty sure to her it wasn't a gamble because she she knows Suzanne Peterson and she knows that she's capable of kind of lighting that fire and bringing something to that team that they probably wouldn't have had without her. But watching it, watching that kind of whole moment unfold, it was it gave me goosebumps and I didn't think it would be able to do that. Well, yeah, earlier in the podcast, we were, I mean, it was awarded our shot of the year in our in our awards and yeah I was telling Ben that just watching it gave you that kind of a tingle down the spine that you very rarely get with what what probably once or twice a year with sport so incredible to watch um obviously with Solheim Cup now the next Solheim Cup a couple of years away what's what's your goals for for 2020 uh to be perfectly honest I haven't I haven't thought about it too much because this year has been so full-on that it's been nice just to kind of take a breather but my, in some ways, my goals are always the same. Like I just wanna, I just wanna get better, and I think putting your emphasis on that. I know it's not a very exciting things for, for the media to pick up on, but you know, if you can put your emphasis on just getting better day in, day out, or week by week, or tournament by tournament, then hopefully all the other stuff takes care of itself. You know, but I won't pretend that I don't want to win tournaments and I don't want to produce things in the majors and and kind of be playing against the best players in the world you know that's that's where I want to be eventually so kind of whatever steps I can take to get there that's that's kind of where my goals are can't beat this view what a seat I can see it all from here but could it be better new Skybet in play provides you with all the live stats you need to get the full picture every shot every tackle every booking every blade of grass it's as close to the action as you can get without lacing your boots up new Skybet in play the best seat in the house not a prawn sandwich in sight that's betting better. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Eligibility restrictions. T's and C's apply. Alex, that was Megan McLaren. Every bit as good an interviewee as I'd hoped. Um, it's a nice way to sort of bookend the year for our podcast because we started with Eddie Pepper. Started as Eddie, I, yeah. as I said to Megan on that, it's kind of like, you know, it's fairly broad analysis, but she's kind of the Eddie Pepper of the, the women's game seems a fair... Um, you know, probably a few more serious postings, but and 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 certainly a, a wider cause, but ultimately a golfer who is willing to connect with uh, the everyman like us. Well, Eddie Pepper is the Megan McLaren of the men's game. Well, increasingly, yeah, especially as he doesn't follow you. <laughs> Sorry to keep Eddie Pepper follows you on Twitter. We get it. Yeah, you all get right. It. Yeah, okay. You're not allowed to bring that up again. Okay, fine. Um, You're not allowed to mention Jordan Spieth again, okay? Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I, I said it there to Megan. I think it's... I don't know how she deals with the, the sh- that she gets on, on Twitter. And we'll quite that. frankly... Um, yeah, if you are listening to this and you are someone that wants to tweet something, thinks that it's a good idea to tweet something like that to a female professional golfer... Go away. Just, just don't. Just <laughs> don't be that guy. No one likes you. You are just... Right. Alex, that's two major swear words. <laughs> it is... <laughs>
major swear You said it again, mate. <laughs> um, right, we're going to be more positive now. Look ahead to the year ahead. We're going to be really, really quick with these, Alex, because this is such a long podcast. Um, we're going to do a... Is anyone still here? Is anyone still going? There are a couple of people at the back. Um, to come in 2020, the majors, we've got Wingfoot, Harding Park, Sandwich, Royal Sandwich, as I like to call it, and uh, and the Masters. We've got the Olympics in Japan, which would be really good. We've got Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. Um, all that stuff and much more... Um, hopefully some real progress uh, across all forms of the game hopefully uh, the PGA Tour take their responsibilities a bit more seriously and don't allow people to get away with cheating what do we want to happen for the year ahead 3-2-1 number 3 obviously Jordan Spieth back on top of his game just said you weren't allowed to mention Jordan uh, Spieth oh god um, yeah make Jordan great again yep. um, yeah it, it, it's it's been a frustrating year for him um, he's I think he's sort of everyone's second favourite golfer, isn't he? So um, I think it would be really nice to, to have him back. Um, yeah. The, the, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say the game needs Jordan Spieth, but sure. it, it's a better place with him playing well. And I know. agree. And in terms of motivating factors, look, a guy who's on the verge of slipping out of the world's top 50, remarkably, probably doesn't need too many extra motivating factors. But he made a point of saying like he, he didn't know if he'd watch the President's Cup because it'd be too hard to not be part of that team well that should ignite something in him shouldn't it and I think the encouraging thing is that um, his putter really started to sing again this year and some people will tell you that that you know obviously the long game is far more important but it should free him up to work on the long game I just hope him and Grella stick it out because yeah you know, I was just thinking they're going to say the same thing up. is it's yeah like Dawson and Pe- uh, Joey um, that's Dawson's Creek for you there number two we've gone with Europe to win the Ryder Cup just to confirm that we are big Europhiles here on the Not Another Golf podcast yeah not only that but also I think imagine if like Victor Hovland was playing and, and he just tore it up and did a um, who was, was it Thomas Peters a couple of years ago went like 4-0-0 yeah. imagine or Hovland and Rahm oh, alternate shot stop it amazing stop can't wait it. for that uh, in September slash October uh, number one on the list Rory McIlroy to win the Masters. We, we are we are consistent because I think in every are. podcast of the ten and a bit or whatever we've done, uh, I think we probably mentioned that we'd like Rory to win another major. So why why not end on that? Absolutely. Uh, just to see him slipping into green would would make me. I, I I when this year at the Masters, people were saying to me, "What would be your order of preference for people to win?" And I, I had to have Tiger top just because it was mental. But obviously, Rory getting over the line finally and just getting that monkey off his back would be. Perfect. I agree. I agree. Uh, I also, I was just going to say thank you to all the people who've come on our podcast and wish them success in the year ahead. Eddie Pepper, I'm sure we'd love to see him on the Ryder Cup team. I'm sure a lot of people would love to see Matthew Southgate complete his journey from uh, a hospital bed to the European Tour with a victory on the European Tour, and there's a good chance that will happen. Uh, Chris Hansen is launching a new venture, a professional golf tour in the north of England, uh, where men and women can play as equal. The 2020 2020 Pro Tour. Tour. Brilliant, brilliant uh, thing he's got going on. We wish him well. Chris Lloyd continues to um, work on things which are much more important than this silly game, but we wish him success on the course as well. Rich Beam will remain part, I'm sure, of Sky Sports' excellent coverage, main, largely excellent coverage of, uh, of golf around the world. Have I missed any guests we've had on? I must have done. Will Wilcox, hopefully he wins on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, there'll have been others. Andy Johnson of the Friday continues to be a really popular member of golf uh, golf's online community, and rightly so. If you're going to listen to one other golf podcast, it should be the Shotgun Start. Uh, Everyone who's been on the podcast and Megan McLaren 
the latest of them included we wish her every success in 2020 in her many many uh, sort of irons in the fire I suppose and I wish you every success with Thank your you, with your betting in 2020 oh, never mind all that let's just be good parents and uh, <laughs> I, let's improve our journalism because you know what like I, I wrote a thing about Rory um, like my boss asked me what was the best thing I'd done this year um, and I, he expected me to sort of say tipping Shane Larry to win the Open but I was mo- more proud of my the piece I wrote from Friday at Port Rush. it was and a lovely that, piece you know because that's why we get into it made me feel like I was there thank you even though I wasn't get into this to tip winners I love doing it and it's not something I want to change but um, just the sp- you sometimes forget how cool the sport is like you know it's just it's just a side note, isn't it, the, the other stuff? So, yeah, that's my wish list for 2020. Probably very similar to yours, but in the main, just to uh, crack on with season two of Not Another Golf Podcast. Which will be back around the Masters, are we thinking? I would think so. Let's yeah. line up a good guest. And if anyone's got any ideas who they want to come on the show, just give us a tweet. If anyone's got Tiger's number... Have you not got Tiger's number? I haven't you've got, got Tiger's Jordan's, number. You've got Ricky's, you've got Darren's, you've got, you've got enough numbers. Um, Alex, it's been a real pleasure it to has. speak to you Thank in the you. spring. Merry and Christmas. And maybe we'll speak to each other in, in the interim. Yeah, let's be friends outside of this podcast. Why not? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Sporting Life podcast. For more, visit sportinglife.com and you can find us on social media at Sporting Life on Twitter and at facebook.com forward slash Sporting Life Official.